1. If you have got your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we will be in verses 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we will be in verses 19 through 23. The title of our lesson this morning is, Why Does It Have to Be So Complicated? Why Does It Have to Be So Complicated? Um, now, when we began chapter 8, we saw that uh, Paul gave us what we call a super principle that we are to live our lives by. And that is the conscience of a weaker Christian is more important than our individual freedoms and our individual uh, rights. That even though we may have certain rights and freedoms, we are perfectly free to do something, the fact is we should not exercise that right if it hurts the conscience or offends the conscience of a weaker believer. And as we saw last week in the first part of chapter 9, Paul himself walked out this principle in his, in his own life. That even though he had the right to expect churches to pay him, to support him, to underwrite him in his ministry, he did not exercise that right. Wherever he went, he labored with his own hands making tents. He made his own money. He supported himself. He never asked uh, churches for, for anything because he didn't want them to think that he was in it for the money. Okay, so he, he walked that out. He didn't just speak it, he, he actually walked it. Now, why would he do this? Well, when you look at Paul's life, what you find is the number one priority in his life, his passion, his purpose in life, was to win people to Christ and to see them grow in Christ. That was his number one thing. That was the flag over his life, to win people to Christ, see them grow in Christ. Anything that would hinder that or would get in the way of that he would say, I'll set that aside. It, it's, not, it's not worth it. In other words, he would allow nothing in his life that would hinder that purpose or passion. In his mind, he was giving something up that was inconsequential and temporary, in other words, money, in order to gain something that was eternally valuable. Now, I put a couple symbols up there to remind me of something. A few weeks ago, I got behind a car at a red light, and on one side of the car was a Jesus fish sticker. Everybody's seen those, right? On the other side of the car was a rebel flag. And as I saw that and I thought through that, I thought, that's, that's not right. There's something wrong here. You see, the fact is, if there's, Paul says, you, by the way, you have every right to display a, a, a rebel flag on your car. That's, that's, that's perfectly, you're perfectly free to do that. But Paul would look at that and say, wait a minute, if there's anything that would hinder me from winning someone to Christ, I'll put that aside. Everybody with me? It's got nothing to do with what you think about it, what your rights and freedoms are. That's a perfect example of what Paul says. If it's something I've got in my life that would hinder somebody else from listening to me and, and hearing the gospel, I'll set that aside. And, and this person, and I, that just came to me as I saw that car, as Paul would say, no, don't, don't do that. Set that aside because that's a hindrance. It might be a freedom, but it's a hindrance to somebody hearing, winning them to the gospel and growing in the gospel. Now, in today's passage, Paul is going to state that principle even more broadly. 1 Corinthians 8, 19, we'll look at our first verse. And this is, this is the same principle that he brought up in chapter 8, the same principle he lives out in chapter 9, but here he's going to state it much more broadly. And he says this, Though I am free from all, 
I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Let's read that again. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of, of them. Now look at that statement. He says, I am free from all. Now what does he mean by that? You see, Paul has learned, and you need to listen to this this morning. I need to listen to it. We are free from all. In other words, what Paul learned is that each of us would have a relationship with God that has absolutely nothing to do with ritual. It has nothing to do with customs. It has nothing to do with ceremony. It has nothing to do with tradition. We're not bound to any of that, folks. You're not bound to maintain the Sabbath day. You're not bound to eat or not eat certain things. You're not bound to certain methods and patterns of cooking. You're not bound to new moons or feasts or anything like that. We're not bound to the Jewish law. Okay? But in the same way, we're also free from all the Gentile ceremonies and rituals and traditions and all of those things as well. A few weeks ago, I was in a restaurant. I ran into somebody. He goes to a traditional Baptist church and and I began to talk to him. I've known him for a long time and was just asking him how things were going. And, and as we talked, he was talking to me about, uh, we got on the subject of Sunday night services. And in his mind, the whole collapse of America is all because we don't have Sunday night church anymore. I mean, basically, he said, man, we, you know, America's falling apart. We don't have Sunday night church anymore. Now listen, if you want to have Sunday night church, that's fine. If Pastor Henry walked in this morning and said, I, I, we, I think we need to go back to Sunday night services, I'd support him. I'd say, great, that's absolutely fine. If you don't want to have it, that's fine too. Folks, it's a tradition. Everybody with me? It's, a, it's, something, it's just tradition is all that is. It has absolutely nothing. You are not more spiritual if you have Sunday night service. You're not less spiritual if you don't have it. It's got nothing to do with your relationship with God. That's all external things. See, that's what Paul is saying. See, our relationship with God is based on one thing and one thing only, and that is the work of Jesus Christ. And that is completely internal. Therefore, you are free from all external things. So over here on this side of the line, you got all these people with their rites and ceremonies and traditions and, and rituals and all those things, and the Bible says we're free. We've come out from all of that. Our relationship with God is based on the work of Jesus Christ. It's completely internal. It doesn't depend on anything external. Okay? Everybody with me? So I'm free from all those things. Now, like every Christian, I'm free to enjoy that liberty. I'm over here. There's a bunch of people over there doing all that tradition stuff. I am completely free from that. I can really can do just about anything I want, technically speaking. I don't have any need to yield to human opinion. I don't have to yield to human ritual or traditions or rites or ceremonies. I'm completely free, yet, yet, Paul says this, I have made myself a servant to all. Although I am free, I will become a slave or a servant. I won't exercise those freedoms. Well, why, Paul? You're over here, you're completely free. You can do whatever you want to do. Your relationship with God is all internal. It's not external. Why in the world... Would you subject yourself to those things again? Well, Paul told us that I might win more of them. Those people over there that are still hung up on those traditions and ceremonies and rites and rituals, Paul says, I'll go to the other side 
and submit myself to those things. Why, Paul? So that I might win more of them. See, the objective to Paul, his purpose, his passion, is to win people to Christ. And, and he's not going to let anything stand in the way of that, including his personal freedoms. Now, Paul, being Paul, he's going to give us some examples. Okay, And he gives us the first one in verse 20. He said this, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Now we'll talk about all that under the law stuff here in just a minute. But basically what Paul is saying, to the Jews I became a Jew. This is what he's saying, when I'm with the Jews, I adopt their customs. Whatever their ceremonial law dictates that they do, that, that's what I do. If it's important to them to have a meal a certain way, fine. That's fine, I do that. If it's important for them to celebrate a, a feast or a day or something like that, fine. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Years ago in this church, every once in a while, we'd celebrate Passover. And we'd do Passover, and we'd talk about how each part of Passover reflects Jesus Christ. And, and we would do that from time to time. You want to do that? Great. Do it. You don't want to do it? That's okay, too. It's, it's a tradition, it's a rite, it's a ritual, it's a ceremony. It, it means absolutely nothing to your... You're not more spiritual, you're not more loved, any of that stuff if you do it or you don't do it. Paul says, though, I'll do those things that I might win them. Now, there are some great illustrations of this in the book of, of Acts. The first one we find in Acts 15. And this is the, the first church council. So if you go back to Acts and you read, what happened was this, right? In Jerusalem, does everybody know the first Christians were Jews, right? All the apostles were Jews. When they, when they preached on the day of Pentecost, all the people that got saved were, were Jews, as far as we know. Later on in, in, um, in Acts, it'll tell us that there are thousands of Jews in Jerusalem that have been saved and that are now believing. And then Paul goes out and he starts preaching to the Gentiles and a bunch of them get saved and now we've got a big problem. Because the Jews, by the way, after they get saved, they keep going to the temple. They, they keep observing Passover. They keep kosher. They keep preparing. Everybody with me? Because they don't know any better. They don't have anything that says, hey, you don't have to do that anymore if you don't want to. So they just keep doing all that. They, they keep circumcising their children because, by the way, the sign of the covenant with God is circumcision. So they keep doing that. And over here you've got the Gentiles. They ain't doing none of that. And so there's this big, this big uproar about, man, do the Jews have to do this? And do the, I mean, do the Gentiles have to get circumcised and all this? So they have a big council. So all the bigwigs get together. Paul, James, Peter, all these guys get together. And they meet to determine what they should do about all those Gentile converts. Because again, Gentiles are being saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet a lot of the Jews thought, well, they can't be real Christians if they're not circumcised. They got to get circumcised, right? So they have a big conference called the First Jerusalem Council, and it was a big deal in the early church. And so they meet and they pray and they all get together and they come out of it. And the leader was James, the brother of Jesus, and he's kind of the president. And he comes up and he says this in Acts 15 19. He said this Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, what he's saying, we've settled it. You don't have to follow Jewish law or be a practicing Jew to be a Christian. 
You don't have to do any of that stuff. You don't have to maintain the Sabbath. You don't have to eat the way we do. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do any of those kind of things. In other words, there's no need to add a bunch of external rules uh, and rituals and rites and ceremonies. In other words, don't trouble them. Everybody with me so far? Now, next he does something really odd. I've always thought this was the oddest thing. He said, but let's write a letter to them and remind them of four things that they should stay away from. Look at verse 20. He says, but we should write to them to tell them to do these four things. Abstain from things polluted from, by idols. Abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from things that have been strangled. And abstain from blood. Those are the four things. Now let me ask you a question. If you knew somebody that was just got saved, and you could write a letter to them, and tell them some things, would one of the things you told them to stay away from things strangled, would that be on your list? Anybody? Wouldn't be on my list. Wouldn't even be close to anything. I don't even know it would be on my list number 99, much less in the top four. So the question is, why? Why those four things? Again, look at them. Abstain from pollution of idols. Well, we get that. That makes sense. Abstain from sexual immorality or sexual sin. Well, that makes sense. But stay away from things strangled and stay away from blood. What has that got? What do those four things have in common? What, what in the world is this all about? Well, the Bible tells us in the very next verse. Look at verse 21. He says, for, and that word for is a connecting word. It means because. He said, because from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. He's talking about Jews, for he has read in every Sabbath in the synagogue. You see, they said, stay away from these things. Why? Because it'll offend and hinder the Jews. Everybody see that? That's what he's saying. Why, don't, why should you not do those four things? Because you'll offend the Jews. You'll hinder the Jews from coming to the gospel. You see, the Gentiles were known for idolatry. They were known for worshiping false gods. And they were also known for incorporating sexual sin into their worship practices. We've talked about that. Places like Temple of Aphrodite would, would uh, employ like a thousand temple prostitutes. So they were known for incorporating sexual sin into their idolatry. So these, these things were very offensive to the Jewish mind. In addition, the Jews were very particular about how an animal had to be killed before it could be eaten. In other words, if you, if you go to the, if for something to be kosher, for meat to be kosher, it has to be killed with one cut, not multiple cuts, but one cut. You slice its throat and all the blood has to be drained out of it. Now the Jews, I mean the Gentiles, they, didn't, they just hung them up by the neck and strangled them and left all the blood inside of them. And to the Jews, now by the way, is that a big deal? No. Does that have anything to do with your relationship with God? Not at all. But to the Jews, that was a big deal. And so the council said, hey, Gentiles, don't do that because you're going to hinder your message. You're going to offend those. They won't, they won't listen to you. Again, does that matter if, a, if, if, you, if you strangle a goat instead of cutting his throat? You know, well, you know, it might be more humane to do one or the other. But the point is, it doesn't have anything to do with your spiritual relationship. It's an external thing. But Paul says it's important to the Jews, so don't do it because it'll hinder your message. Same thing with blood. 
If you go back to the Bible, God tells the Jews, don't have anything to do with blood because the life is in the blood. So the Jews would never ingest an animal's blood into their body at all. I mean, they would make sure it was completely drained of blood. They would dispose of the blood. They wouldn't cook with it. They wouldn't do anything with it. But the Gentiles did that regularly. They incorporated blood into their... Uh, and some of, the ancient, some of those uh, uh, religions that they practiced would actually drink blood of the animal. You'd actually sacrifice the animal and drink the blood. They would cook with it. Years ago, when I was in Mexico, went down on a mission trip to Mexico, and they said, uh, we're, we're going to cook a goat. And they were going to dig a hole in the ground and cook a goat and, and put it in the hole. And, and I said, man, that sounds good. Well, about 6 o'clock that night, that evening, they pull up and they pull the goat out. And he's, he's, on, a, you know, he's on a rope. And I, mean, I thought for sure the goat would already be dead when he got there, but he wasn't. So they hung him up, sliced his throat, and they drained all his blood into a, a bowl, big bowl. And then this lady come over and got the blood. And I said, well, what's she going to do with it? Oh, she's going to make a blood pudding or a blood pie out of it. And I was like, Dude, that is disgusting, right? Um, but, but the Gentiles did that, right? Now, we'll, let's, listen, will a little blood pudding defile you spiritually? No. I mean, I wouldn't do it. I hope you don't eat it. But the point is, it, it's a ritual thing. It's a ceremony. It's, it's, it's not got nothing to do with your relationship with God. But the, but the council told the Gentiles, don't do that. Because if you do that... That will, the Gentiles won't, I mean, the Jews won't have anything to do with you. They won't listen to anything you say. So don't hinder your message. You see that? That's what he's saying. Don't hinder your message. Don't do anything, even though you have the absolute right to eat blood pudding if you want it. He said, don't do that because you'll hinder the message. So the whole point here from the very beginning of Christianity, from the very first council of Christianity, is that you have the exact same principle. I may be free to do something, but I will not do it if it hinders or offends someone else for hearing or accepting or even growing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will set those things aside. There's another one in Acts 16. Let's read that, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, which was two Greek cities. And a disciple there was named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer but his father was a Greek. Paul comes into these two cities, and he comes in there to, to preach and establish churches, and he meets a family. And they've got a young man, a young son there called Timothy. And as far as I know, his father is not around. He's being raised by his mom and his grandmother. And, but this, this young man is just something else. I mean, Paul immediately says, man, this guy is a strong Christian. I could use him. So he plans on taking him with him on his missionary journeys. But before he goes, it says this. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, so he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. So Paul takes Timothy, who's probably uh, in his late teens, I mean, and circumcised him at that point and says, I'm going to do that before I take it with him. Now, the question is, well, why would he do that? Did, did Paul believe that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved? Anybody? Of course not. He's already told us, if you remember back in chapter 7... Verse 19, circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. That doesn't mean anything. That's all external. It's got nothing to do with anything. So the question is, why in the world would he circumcise Timothy? Well, you may remember from the book of Acts, Paul, one thing about Paul, Paul's really smart, and Paul always had a strategy. Paul didn't just go into town, find a street corner, and start preaching. 
he always had a strategy. Um, and one of the things that he would do whenever he went into a town for the first time, he would always find a Jewish synagogue and he would start there. Now, I don't know why he did that. I do know this in Romans 1.16, it says what? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for who? The Jew first, then the Gentile. So Paul lived by that. When he would go into a city or a town, he would always go to the Jews first. Always. Okay? In fact, you see that in Acts 17, 1 through 2. It says this, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in as was his custom. That's what he would always do. He would go there first. And when he would go into these synagogues, Paul could walk right in because he was a Jew. And so they, they, they let him right in. And he could go in there and talk to Jews and, because he was a Jew. But he, he also knew that any companions he took with him, they would need to be accepted as well. But Timothy's from a mixed marriage. Okay? And in that day, if you were from a mixed marriage, a Jew and a Gentile, you were, you were a Gentile. Right? I mean, that's just the way it was. They, they saw him as an uncircumcised son of a Gentile. The fact that he was half Jew meant nothing to them. If you had any Gentile in you at all, you were a Gentile. Okay? So Paul circumcises him so the Jews would accept him. By the way, not as a Jew, they would actually accept him as a proselyte or a convert. You see, any Gentile could become a Jew, but you had to get circumcised first. So if you were a 20-year-old man, you want to become a, if you were willing to do it, you could do it as long as you, you would do that one thing. Well, see, that's when, when he circumcised Timothy, he knew that the Jews would now accept him as a proselyte or a convert, and he could take him into the synagogues uh, with him. So he didn't circumcise him for salvation. He's circumcising to gain entrance to evangelize or speak or talk to the Jews. Does it violate grace? No. It doesn't violate grace. Timothy wasn't doing it to be saved. Both he and Paul knew that, that his relationship with God is not based on anything external. He did it to enable him to go into the Jewish community and preach to the Jews. There's one more in Acts 21. Now, by, by the way, this is all Paul doing these things. Paul goes to Jerusalem to, to make a visit. And he gets there and they said to him, You see, brother how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. I mean, they, he comes to Jerusalem, and there literally now are thousands of Jews who've become believers. I mean, they are, they are believing in Christ. But notice this, but they are still zealous for the law. In other words, they're new Christians. They, you just don't get saved. We've talked about this several times over the last few weeks. You don't just get saved and automatically walk away from all the things you've been taught your whole life. It takes time to grow out of that. And so they're all zealous for the law. They're still, man, we're, we're Christians, but we're, we're obeying the law. And so uh, they hear, they said, but here's the problem, Paul. All the Jews here have been hearing that you're out there, in, the, out there in, in Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonica, and you're teaching the Jews they don't have to obey the law anymore. What are we going to do about this? Because when they hear you've come, they're not going to have anything to do with you. So how do we get around this? Watch what they say. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been done. I'm sorry, there's nothing in what they've been told about you, 
but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. Let me tell you what that's talking about. The Jews had something they called a Nazarite vow. Have you ever heard of a Nazarite vow? Nazarite vow meant that you could, as a, person, as a man, you could come in and you could say, okay, for a period of time, you could do it for seven days, you could do it for a year. There were a couple of men in the Bible, uh, Samson and John the Baptist, who lived under a Nazarite vow their whole life. They never drank alcohol, they never shaved, they never cut their hair or shaved their beards. So that's what a Nazarite vow is. It says, okay, for a period of time, for seven days, for six months or whatever, I'm not going to drink any alcohol, I'm not going to cut my hair, I'm not going to shave my beard, I'm, 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 I'm showing through that that I'm taking a vow to God. But at the end of your vow, if you did it for seven days, at the end of the vow, you went to the temple and you shaved your head. That showed everyone that the vow was over. Everybody with me? So that's what Paul said. They said to Paul, Paul, we got four guys that are about to take a Nazarite vow. They're about to go down to the temple. I want you to go with them. Watch what he says. Take these four men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses. In other words, there was some money involved in this at the, at the temple. He said, Paul, you pay for them. You take money out of your own pocket and you pay their expenses when you go and do these things. You show everybody that you're still okay, you're still under the law. And watch what it says. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them, and he went to the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented. So he goes to the temple the next day, pays the expenses, and says we're going to do this for seven days or ten days. So Paul says, so everybody see what Paul's doing? Paul says, I'm free from all that stuff. That don't mean nothing. But Paul says, you want, me to, you want me to shave my head? I'll shave my head. If that'll give me an audience to preach to Jews, I'll shave my head. And it means absolutely nothing. That's, that's how far the man would go. He would circumcise a teenager. He, he would shave his own head. If that meant something to them, fine. He said, that's fine, I'll do it. I got, I got no problem with that. If it'll give me an audience so they'll hear the gospel. Why? Because his passion was to win people to Christ. That was his passion. And let's look at verse 21. He goes on and says this, To those outside the law, now he's talking about Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Now, under the law, outside the law, under the law, outside the law. That gets, in those two verses, there are three statements that Paul makes about the law. He says this, I'm not under the law, I am not without the law of God, and then he says I'm under the law of Christ. Well, which is it, Paul? Am I under the law, am I not under the law, which law am I under? And, and you might look at that, and, and this is where I get the title, why does it have to be so complicated, right? Just give us a list. <laughs> just give me a list of what to do. We, we, if we, there's just something in us, just give me a list. But it's not like that at all, that's not Christianity at all. You see, the reason it's so complicated is because life is complicated. That's just life. But see, this is the kind of careful thinking you and I have to do if we're going to live the Christian life the way it was meant to be, to be lived. That, that's just the way it is. Situations are going to come up that are not going to be simple. They're going to be complicated. And you have to think it through. If you want to live the Christian life the way it's supposed to be lived, you're going to have to do some, some thinking. You see, the Christian life can kind of be... Over here on one is all these rites and rituals and external worldly stuff, and over here is freedom to do whatever you want to do. Everybody with me? 
The Christian life is all about walking this line. It's really about walking that line between the two. In fact, it's kind of like a razor's edge because as soon as you say, I'll make myself slave to all, I'll, I've become all things to all men, you are right on the edge of idolatry and compromise and worldliness and sin. You see, the fact is this, if you fall one way, if you fall over this way, you're of no use to anybody because you have no connection to the world at all. You've completely separated yourself from him. You've got no connection to him. But the problem is if you fall the other way, you're of no use because you're just like them. Everybody see that? If you fall one way, you've, you've, you've separated yourself. You've got no connection to the world at all. You, nobody will even listen to you. But if you fall the other way, you're no use because you're just like them. They don't see anything different in you. How do you walk that line? That's the tricky part. How do you walk that line? And I'm, tell, I'm here to tell you that the answer is, like Paul, you have to think hard about your relationship to the law of God. Look at what Paul says. As a Christian, Paul says, I am not under the law. What he means is I am not bound to earn my salvation by any ceremonial laws or dietary laws or separation laws of the, under the Old Testament. In other words, circumcision means nothing. Um, holy days means nothing. Celebrating Passover means nothing. Not eating ham or catfish or shrimp means nothing. Getting a tattoo, not getting a tattoo, it's external, means nothing. Not eating meat offered to idols means nothing. It's external. It's got nothing to do with my relationship with God. He said, I'm not under any, I'm not under that ceremonial law, right? I'm free to go to the home of a humanist or an animist or a, or a Muslim and eat whatever they put in front of me. They serve whatever they serve me, I'm free, I'm free to eat it. I'm not bound to any of that stuff at all. It's an external thing and it has no effect on my relationship with, with Jesus Christ. However, as a Christian, I'm not lawless. That's what Paul's saying. I'm not lawless. I, I'm, I'm not without God's law. Look at, uh, go back to that, we, we quoted this earlier, 1 Corinthians seven nineteen. Paul says, circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But, Paul says, what matters is keeping the commandments of God. You see, that's really a remarkable verse because what it says is that circumcision, which is a, a rite, a ritual, a tradition, a ceremony, that has nothing to do with my relationship with Jesus Christ. That means nothing. However, keeping the commandments of God, that means everything. Now, what is Paul referring to there? Well, he, what he's doing, he's distinguishing between the ceremonial law and the moral law. See, we're not anything that's ceremonial, ritual, rites, traditions... I'm not bound to that at all. But the moral law of God, now that I'm always under. Every human being is under that law. When it says don't commit adultery, I'm not free from that because I'm a Christian. I'm still under the moral law of God. But it says be circumcised, I'm free from that. That's ceremony. Everybody with me? That's a, that's a, huge, that's a huge distinction and a huge difference. But above all, we are under the law of Christ. In John 13, 34, Jesus said this, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. That's the law of Christ. That's a new command, a new law, and that is to love one another. Galatians 6, 2, Paul says, you want to see what does that mean? Well, look at Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens, 
and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, I, I may be completely free, but I'll go over and get under somebody else's burden because I'm under the law of Christ. I'm completely free of doing something, and they may be bound by something, and I'll go over there and get under it with them. Get, I'll be like them, okay, in order to help them, to help them grow and mature in Christ. That's what, Paul, that's what Paul's saying. I'm not under the ceremonial law. I'm under the moral law, but more than that, I'm under the law of Jesus, which is to love somebody, to bear their burdens, to encourage them, to exhort them, to admonish them, to help them. Paul goes on in verse 22 to 23. He says, and this should be 1 Corinthians 9, I think, by the way. Yes, sorry about that. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Now, I want to answer a couple questions real quickly here. We've got about 10 minutes. I, somebody asked me one time when we were talking about this, they said, well, aren't we just compromising our convictions? Aren't we just compromising our convictions? Well, that depends. But I, we need to make sure that you and I understand the difference between compromise and condescension. Okay, between compromising and condescension. And this is an extremely important distinction to understand. The difference between condescension and compromise is the difference between what is optional and what is not. Let me say that again. The difference between compromise and condescension is the difference between what is optional and what is not. If something is optional, it's not defined as right or wrong in Scripture, then I have the freedom to make a decision on that. The Bible doesn't say do that, don't do that. I have freedom. To condescend means that I set aside that freedom. I set aside rights that I have to come down and meet someone at their level. Okay? It's something that's optional for me. And I'm free to do it, not do it. It's kind of up to me. I have a decision. Condescend means I set that aside to come down and meet that person at their level in order to minister to them. Okay? To compromise is to set aside a truth that we have no business setting aside. Everybody see the difference there? If it's optional, you can do it, not do it, kind of up to you. Condescend means I come down, I, I say, okay, well, you know, it's not a big deal for me, but if it's a big deal for them, that's fine. Compromise says there's a truth in the Word of God that you, do ne- you never set that aside. 2 Corinthians 2.17, Paul says, We are not like many who are just peddlers of God's Word. We are men of sincerity, commissioned by God, And in the sight of God, we speak the truth of Christ. Paul says there are some who corrupt the word of God. By the way, what Paul means by this, this is someone who preaches and lives a cheap gospel. It's a cheap gospel that's palatable to everybody because it's stripped of all its offense. See, the gospel offends if you don't know that. By the way, you remember a while ago I talked about Paul, how he went to the temple and he paid those men's expenses? Everybody remember that? If you go read the rest of that story, it didn't work. He went into that temple, and they saw him, and there was a riot. And the Romans came and arrested him, and that that day was the start of his journey to Rome where he he would be killed and martyred. It didn't work. I mean, they hated his... Some of those Jews in that temple hated him. They were offended by him, even when he tried to do the right thing. 
But the fact is, we do not live and preach a cheap gospel that's palatable to everybody. Muhammad Ali died a few days ago, and I was reading online, and I found this quote. This was uh, the Reverend Wanda McIntyre, who spoke at his memorial service, and she said this, Rivers, lakes, ponds, streams, and oceans all have different names, but they all contain water. So do religions have different names, and they all contain truth expressed in different forms and times. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim, a Christian, or a Jew. When you believe in God, you should believe that all people are part of one family. Folks, that is a cheap gospel. You want to see compromise? That's compromise. That's compromising the truth of the Word of God. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Nobody else. Through me. See, that's compromise. That's when you set aside a truth to make the gospel more palatable, less offensive to people. That we never do. But if it's something optional, that, that it can give me an audience with him, fine. Paul says, I'll do that. See, Paul's not, he, he's not like that lady, right? In, in, first, in Galatians 1.10, Paul says, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? See, Paul knew all the time, everything I do is, is I'm looking for his approval. It's all about him. What does he want me to do? What's acceptable to him? Not, I'm not trying to please men. He said, I'm a, I'm a slave of Christ. You see, Paul will not set aside the truth for anybody. If someone is offended by the cross, that's their problem. If somebody's offended by the word of God, that's their problem. If somebody's offended by church discipline, that's their problem. If, if God lays it out in His Word, this is what we're to do and say, we're going to do it and we're going to say it. And if you're offended by it, that's your problem. There's nothing I can do about that. But if someone is offended by some behavior I'm doing that isn't necessary, Paul says, then that's my problem. Everybody with me? If someone is offended by something I'm doing that isn't necessary... It isn't from the Word of God. Paul says, I will set that aside. It doesn't matter. If I'm, I can be 100% right, Paul says, I'll set it aside because I will not allow the message to be hindered. I will not do that because i got to please Him. i got to stand before Him one day. So let's get practical. How far do we go? How far do we go? Should I attend a gay marriage in order to win them? Should I get drunk in order to win them? Should I drink one beer in order to win them? I was telling somebody the other day a, 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 a story about a man, and I, I, well, I don't know if I should go down this road or not, but I'll just tell you. So it's a guy that, he's a, he's a great theologian, and I, 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 he's, he blogs, and I follow him, and he was telling a story about, he grew up in Enid, Oklahoma, and he grew up, and he was wild, man. He ran around and drank and did all the things you do as a young man, well, he he moved off, and he eventually got saved somewhere else. And he actually went to Bible school and, and became a pastor, and, and uh, some different things happened. Well, anyway, uh, over time, his, his, uh, his mom got sick, and he had to move back home, back to Enid, Oklahoma. And so he called his friends up that he grew up with. He said, hey, let's, let's get together. And they, so they made it like the sports bar, and, and um, uh, they all get together. Well, they order, and of course, everybody orders beers. Well, he orders a, a Diet Coke. Well, they all looked at him like he was, he had horns growing out of his ears, right? What, you know, you know, I don't, you know, I don't drink anymore, and he had to explain and all that. So as they're talking, what he realized, he said, man, there was a complete wall went up between me and them. They, they wouldn't listen to me. I mean, it was like I was, a, it was like they don't know who I am anymore. 
And so he, he, he said he met with them a couple times, more times, and they just wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have, you know, it was just different. So finally, he, he called them up one day and he said, hey, let's meet at this bar. And so they met at the bar, and when they ordered, he ordered one beer. And he said it was like it was a different environment. Then they, it was like, oh, well, this is, and then they would listen to him. Do we do that? Right? Wrong? See, th- listen, I'm not answering the question. I'm telling you, why does it have to be so complicated? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Right? Th- I don't know. Do I, could I do that? Probably not. I don't think I could ever do that. But that's my point. It's not, I'm not telling you. See, we can't just go down these things somewhere and sometimes and just check them. Yes, yes, no, no, yes, no. Okay, let's go live our life. It doesn't work that way. We live on principles. We're, we're under the moral law of God, but we're under the law of Christ. We have to make decisions. And, and it's complicated sometimes, right? Should I, should I just go to a bar? Is it okay just to go to a bar? Don't drink anything but just go to a bar in order to win them. Should I wear a dress? Should I wear a suit? Should I wear a bikini? Is it okay? Is it not okay? How do we know what we should do and what we shouldn't do? It's not easy. Sometimes it's complicated. I read a quote this week, and I'll give you a couple things here to help you. Because if you're looking for me to answer your questions, I can't do it. It's up to you to answer the questions. That's the whole. That's why it's so complicated. What, what, tr- trust me. Wouldn't you feel better if I just got up here and told you to do this and not do that? Don't a lot of people just want somebody to tell them? Ain't that what you're looking for? If you want to live the Christian life, you're not going to find that. And anybody that tells you they've got all the answers, don't don't go with that person because they'll lead you places you don't. They don't have all the answers. Don't ever look to a man or a woman to have give you all the answers, what you should... That's not Christianity. Christianity doesn't work like that. Okay, you're responsible. You're supposed to walk in the Spirit. You're supposed to be led by the Spirit. I ran across this quote this week, and I, I really like this. It said this, We should avoid anything that would make a weak Christian think less of their faith, or that would make an unsaved person feel more at ease in their sin. That's a good quote. I liked it. I thought, well, that's, that's a good quote. But then I started trying to apply it to certain things, and I just got went, went around in the circles. I just couldn't come up, you know. It, it's complicated. You see, the fact is, what Paul is telling us is this. In freedom, for love's sake, we are to try to overcome unnecessary, alienating differences that cut us off from unbelievers. That word, unnecessary, alienating differences that cut us off. In other words, in freedom, for love's sake, I eat dinner the way they eat dinner. Now, we don't deal with a lot of that here this day and age, right? We don't have to worry about was a food prepared a certain way or was, it, was a chicken offered to, to bail or anything like that. We don't, when we go over to your, my house or your house and we sit down and eat fried chicken, you're probably not thinking, I wonder if he sacrificed this out back to anybody, right? We don't, we don't have to deal with those kind of things, right? But the point is, is even in a society where we did, the fact is just go eat dinner because it means, it means nothing. In love's sake, you dress pretty much like they dress. You don't have to wear a burqa and cover yourself up. It's okay to wear pretty much what they wear within reason. And we all know what that means. In freedom for love's sake, you get involved in their sports and their businesses and their lives. You don't stay over here. You're not a monk that goes off into some mountain 
and says, I'm almost separate. that's not Christianity. You don't find that anywhere in the Bible. At the same time, if you're not careful, you can get so much like them that there's no difference. They don't see anything different in you. How do you walk that line? Sometimes it's complicated. So you get involved in their lives, their sports, their businesses, their, their hobbies. Yet all the while, you better keep watch. You better keep a vigilant watch over your heart to see if you're staying in the law of Christ. Now, I'm going to give you two quick tests to help you kind of find this balancing act this morning. Again, I can't give you the answers. Those are things you've got to decide on your own, but I will give you a couple tests. One is this. Are you, become more, are you becoming more worldly-minded than they are becoming more spiritually-minded? Listen, Christ does not call you to lose your holiness, but to gain theirs. And if you find yourself losing your holiness, there's a good chance you cross the line. Everybody with me? Because that's not what He calls you to, to lose your holiness. He called you to gain theirs. And if you find yourself losing that, then there's a pretty good chance you, you cross the line. Number two, is your passion for winning your friends and family growing? Or is it shrinking as you become all things to them? See, as you, maybe you cross over the line and you're trying to get more involved in their life in order to win them, but as time goes by, you find that that passion to win them is shrinking, not growing. If that passion is shrinking, there's probably a good chance you've crossed the line. You're being affected more than they're being affected. Those are two really good tests. Listen, yes, it is complicated. But all we can do is pray that the Lord will grant us to use our freedom to become servants of all that we might by all means save some. And the Bible says it very clearly. Very clearly if you lack wisdom... And what to do. What are we supposed to do? Ask Him. When we come to situations, don't think, man, I'm all on my own. I don't know what to do here. If you lack wisdom, drop to your knees and ask God to give you wisdom in, in particular situations. And the Bible promises that He gives liberally to everybody who will ask. He'll give you liberal enough wisdom, more than enough wisdom, to know what to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 1 Corinthians 9 and, and the principles that we're learning in 7 and 8 and 9. And Father, I, I know these are difficult sometimes decisions to know how to make. It's diff, difficult to know what we're supposed to do. But Father, I just pray, uh, as we said right there at the end, for, that anybody here today that are wanting to win their family to Christ, they're wanting to win their friends to Christ, they, wanna, they, wanna, they, they don't want to live a life without purpose. They want their life to mean something to those around them, then, Father, I pray that you give them the wisdom in the days and weeks to come to know how to do that. That, God, they won't compromise their holiness, Father, but they will condescend themselves. They'll set aside things that aren't necessary and, and become whatever is needed to all men in order that they may win them. And their passion for that will grow in all of us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Hey man. Oh, good morning. Oh. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning.